When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I am Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I am Derek Phillips, and I play Billy Riggins. <laughs> Was that good? So good. Our assumption is still that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already watched, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV. There will be spoilers in our podcast. And guys, we got merch. We've got merch. We've got merch. That's right, baby. We got t-shirts. We got hats. We've got... What? What's so funny? We got t-shirts. We got hats. We got hoodies. We've got mugs. We got stickers. We got stickers. We've even got like a uh, the landing strip T-shirt, which would be a lovely gift for your mother this Valentine's Day. <laughs> so if you're interested, go to cleareyesfullheartspod.com. That's cleareyesfullheartspod.com to pick up your personalized landing strip T-shirt for mom. It's not that personalized, but you should get it. <laughs> Today, D, we're talking about season one, episode seven. Homecoming, which was written by friend of the pod, David Hudgens, and directed by Patrick R. Norris. Here we go with our NBC synopsis. Alumni reunite in Dillon for Homecoming, including a former state champ with dark secrets. Billy Riggins and Tyra plan the ultimate after-game party, Smashville's pressure to impress a college recruiter, and Jason becomes more suspicious of Lila and Tim. They forgot to mention the most important part. Which is what? Tyra's stripper sister shows up. For <laughs> all seven lines. <laughs> so it's, that should definitely be in the synopsis. Tyra's stripper sister, Mindy Collette, shows up and calls Billy Riggins an asshat. I do. So we're going to get into the rewatch in a bit. But first, I want to hear a little bit about how Stacey Oristano became the lovely Mindy Collette. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, Derek, I do have to tell you, today, I'm wearing a hoodie. And guys listening at home, you will come to find out about me. One of my very favorite things in the world is a giant oversized hoodie. And it's finally like a crisp New England day and I can wear a hoodie. So this is going to be like the most comfortable I've ever sounded on this podcast. (laughs) That's why you're telling me this. I was like, so what's new? Every time I see you, you're wearing a hoodie. No, it's been too hot. Here's something else that's kind of interesting, Stacey. Did you know that this, okay, this is our seventh podcast, but our first Mm -hmm. podcast just aired. And just like Friday Night Lights, the TV show, the seventh episode 
was when the first episode aired. Mind blown. Art mirroring life, mirroring art, mirroring podcasts. (laughs) So this was your first episode on Friday Night Lights. I need to know all the dirt. How How did you get this show? How did this wind up happening? Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Tell me where you were in your life at this point in time. I'm still working at that theater company I talked about before with you. Guys, Derek and I actually had the same agent in Dallas. And I got... This I don't I tried to look through my emails to find the breakdown in the sides, but there was like a bajillion years ago, so I couldn't find anything. But I know it was just like sister of the lead girl. And obviously the show hadn't come out yet, so I didn't know anything about it except that you were there. But I got the sides and I was like, there's no way this isn't a scene with Derek. Guys, sometimes they'll give us the thing called dummy sides, which is like the scene that we have to read, and they'll put other names in it. Like they especially do this for Grey's Anatomy. And it's my favorite thing in the world when you're playing a doctor and you're like, he has disease and then blah, blah, blah. And you're like, not allowed to say whatever it actually is. But I I called you, I think, or I texted you and I was like, I think this scene is with you. It's in a strip club and my sister. And you were like, yeah. I specifically remember you calling me actually, because I was driving down I-35. And I remember having this conversation with you and just saying, look, just be ready because they're going to probably ask you to improv. So just be ready to improv. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the thing. Like anyone who ever called me and said, hey, I've got an audition for Friday Night Lights. Do you have any notes? I'd be like, just be prepared because they're going to ask you to improv, which can be nerve wracking for an actor because you're never really asked to do that. Thank God for that, because they definitely did. Okay, so you got the audition. You've gotten brilliant advice from me about be aware of improv coming. I know that's what got you the job is my brilliant advice. What happened after that? Uh, I drove. I drove from Dallas to Austin that day. I didn't want to stay with anybody. So I just drove that day and I put my makeup on in my car. And I, while I was doing my makeup in my car, I noticed I had the, the most gigantic volatile zit on my forehead. And I was mortified. And I dug through my trunk and I found a hat. And I wore a hat in an audition, which, by the way, you're never supposed to do. And I put pigtails on because I thought it would be a little like sh- like cute, exotic dancery. And Jeffrey, Ryan, I was with Beth Sepko and Jeffrey Reiner. And Jeffrey's like, I like the hat. And I was like, oh, score. Please don't make me take it off because you'll never give me a job. <laughs> I read with Jeffrey Reiner and we did we did both of my scenes. But the one in the strip club, we just kept rolling and kept going. And I think if you hadn't told me that, I would be like, what? Oh, wait, I don't, I don't have any more lines. I don't know what you're doing, but it was very fun. Yeah. And that's, it it threw a lot of actors off. It threw a lot of actors off when they came to the show, because sometimes you'd be in the middle of a scene with someone and they'd be like, are you going to say this line? And be like, no, I'm not. And it's like, oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that happened occasionally, but most, most of the actors that we had on the show kind of got it after a couple of, a couple of scenes or whatever, or midway through it, they'd be like, oh, okay, that's how this show works. And then you just adjust and move on. I think I found out. Oh, I remember. I found out I, I got the part. I was driving. I was driving somewhere and I ran out of gas. And I was on the side of the highway. And I had called my boss at the time. Her name was Landry. And she was going to come bring me gas. And while I was sitting like, Stacey, you're such an idiot. Why do you do this? I got the call from our agent saying that I booked the part. And I was like, this is a weird day because that's awesome, but I'm a dummy, but that's awesome. Very conflicted. So did you run out of gas because of poverty or stupidity? Stupidity. (laughs) 
Okay. It's always like you see it. You're like, it's not quite on the E. It's like right above the E. I can make it where I'm going. Yeah. And I did. I, and I didn't. I used to do that a lot. Pretty much every time I ran out of gas in my life was like, I think I can make it. I think I can make it. I think, oh, no, I can't. And then you turn the AC off and the windows down. Exactly. And you're like, I got yeah, this. I got this. Using hills to roll down, <laughs> basically keeping the car neutral. It was a very, very weird timing. But when I got down to film and they brought me down to Austin, I ended up somehow because between my first scene and my second scene was a big, long break. I think I was down there for like 10 days and we were in the same hotel and we hung out that first night when I was there and you gave me like some insider tips and stuff to do. And it was guys, it was stuff I didn't even know stuff like make sure to be super gracious to the costumers and hang up your costumes afterwards. Don't just leave them folded on the ground just and things just things to do like around set and base camp. Cause again, I had never done anything like this before. And I had used my little guide through all of this. It would have been terrifying if I didn't have you. And I still didn't know anything either. I mean, this was still only my seventh episode on a television show. So I was learning as I went too. There's little things like on your call sheet, sometimes it'll say SW and you're like, what does SW mean? No one ever Mm -hmm. told us these things. SW means start work. And then like, there's an H sometimes. And it's like, what does H mean? H means you're on hold. And I'm like, well, does that mean I'm off? And it's like, well, you're off, but you're on hold. So that means don't go out and get hammered drunk because there is a chance something could go crazy wrong and we could potentially need you. So you're like a doctor on call, essentially. Or there's something Mm -hmm. like SWF on your call sheet, which means start work, finish, which means you start that day, you work that day, you also finish that day. But all these things that like, they don't teach you this stuff in acting school. So yeah, there's just a, a learning curve. Like, don't throw your costumes on the floor, as Stacy said. Like, I, I wouldn't have known that. But one real quick way to piss off wardrobe <laughs> and get a bad reputation is to not hang your wardrobe up when you're done with a day's work. Okay, uh, enough about me. This is a very big episode for Billy Riggins. This was the seventh episode of the show, but it was the first time I actually had some, like, real scenes. And this is something that Stacy can attest to, that neither one of us were on contract for this show. So you're getting one episode here, one episode there, one episode here. And so every time that you're on set, it almost feels like you're auditioning again. Because every single time you've got an opportunity to do something, it's like, okay, if I do a good job here, there's a chance that the writers might start writing some stuff for my character. And I really felt that way with this episode for me because it was literally the first time I had more than like two scenes in an episode. And the first time that I was kind of driving some action. And I also had Mm -hmm. some stuff that that we were learning about the Riggins family that hadn't been told before. And I was the vehicle that was going to be able to tell this story. So this was a big episode for me in that respect. And it was also pretty awesome because Stacy was there. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Before we jump into this rewatch, we do want to answer a couple of fan questions. This is correct. And I actually have a fan question here from Hannah. And she says, I know that in the Colette house, there's a picture of the woman who owned that house above the mantle. Did she live there when the show was on hiatus? Not only did she live there when the show was on hiatus, she lived there when we were shooting. And sometimes she would just hang out in the backyard while we were shooting scenes. And she was lovely and warm and maternal. And there was a trampoline in the backyard that sometimes we got to play on in between takes. She, I, I only got to shoot at the Colette house maybe three, four times during the course mm-hmm. of the show. But every single time we shot there, She would come out and be like, thank you guys so much for coming back. And she was like, so happy to have us. Look, FYI, these people that we, whose houses we shot in, they got paid. Um, I don't know how much, it's a lot, but she was so thankful to have us there and so happy to have the crew there. And and, I mean, man, I'll tell you what, 
I don't know that I ever want a movie crew in my house because they're just, it's a mess. It's a lot. But she was the loveliest lady. Stacy's right. I don't know how much they have to, I guess the aim is to try to put the house back as normally as possible as they, as they do at the beginning, but I don't know. But um, also the Colette house was, I think, the furthest out. Like it definitely was not Austin proper. It was far. We also had a question from a Tiffany, and the question was, how do they find places to shoot? That's actually really interesting. There's a person called a location manager or location scout, and the location scout basically goes around whatever city you're in, and they have, usually there's a lot of places that they know are friendly places that they can shoot at, but in terms of houses, I know this firsthand because when I was a child, we had a commercial shoot at our house on the outside. And then we had a Italian film shoot on the inside of our house when I was a kid. I was like 14 years old. Uh, this Italian film called The Boy in the Golden Kimono. I swear, this is the truth. And this location scout came to our door when I was like 12, knocked on the door and said, hey, are your parents home? My mom and dad came to the door and they were like, we'd like to use the exterior of your house for a commercial. Uh, is that something you'd be willing to do? My parents got paid pretty decently for them to use this, our house as an exterior in a commercial shoot. And then like two years later, they came back and said, hey, we'd like to use the interior of your house. Would that be okay? And my mom and dad were like, yeah, sure. And that's why I say you don't want a movie crew in your house. Now they try their best to put everything back as best they can, but it was, I think they shot in our house for three days. My parents let me skip school one of the days because I was, I wanted to be an actor. Um, And I was 14 or 15 years old when they shot this commercial. And I remember all the Italian guys would go, spy, come here, spy, come here. They called me the spy. Because they, <laughs> yeah, they didn't speak a lot of English and they, they were like, who's this white kid? Oh, when you say Italian movie, you mean a movie in Italian. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. it was just like a, like a Sopranos movie or something. No, no, no. <laughs> it, was an, it was an Italian movie <laughs> called The Boy in the Golden Kimono, which was a, it was a crappy version of Karate Kid. Oh my God, I want to see this Yeah, movie. but it was the Italian version of Karate Kid that was shot in my childhood home. I think also when they do use it for a couple of days, they also put the family up in a hotel at the same time. So it's nice. I yeah. think if someone came to my door today and was like, hey, we want to use your movie, I'd be like, go away, scammer. Stop. Why are you knocking on my door? Yeah, not a chance nowadays. Yeah, I mean, there were they, my parents got paid pretty well, but there were little things like they, they asked me if they could lower the stools. We had these wooden stools in the kitchen. I was like, yeah. And I was like, I didn't know what they meant by lower them. And then they cut the stools. Oh, no. (laughs) And like our AC broke because the door was open and they were coming and going so much. So it's like we got paid, but we also had to get a new AC unit. My mom was not too happy that I let them cut her chairs. One thing my mom doesn't know either until this day. Hi, mom. Uh, They shot a (laughs) sex scene in you and dad's bed uh, in that Italian film. Yeah. So there you go. Sorry, mom. (laughs) Um, I don't know about the rest of you, but I would like to not think about what happens in Derek's parents' bed right now. So how about we just get straight into this rewatch? Yeah, I'm right there with you, Stacey. (laughs) Okay, Derek, let's talk about this party. I'm trying to figure out a timeline, but Lila says to Tim... You're already drinking and it's not even seven o'clock. So was this party at like six o'clock in the morning? No, I think she meant like seven o'clock p.m. The party was probably at like noon. Don't you think? Or 2 p.m.? 
I don't know. I hope it's very bright outside, but it's Texas. So maybe you're right. But I was like, oh, if he is drinking at six o'clock in the morning, that's a problem. <laughs> there was something really cool that I noticed. Uh, and and I, I'm sure I noticed this before, but I really noticed it yesterday because oddly enough, I had a conversation with Brad Leland yesterday. He called me and I, I haven't told you this oh. yet, Stacy. So Stacy's hearing this for the first time. But Brad calls me and he goes, hey, man. I listened to the podcast you guys did. I'm not going to do my Brad voice the whole time, but he goes, I listened to the podcast you guys did. And he goes, that's Stacey Oristano. She has the sweetest voice, man. You guys were so good. I loved it so much. And Brad, literally, I mean, he was singing our praises yesterday, Stacey, on this thing, because I've been a little nervous about this podcast. And I, and I just want it to be good yeah. because I want it to be a love letter to this show. And Brad called and, and was just so amazing. Brad... Buddy Garrity, for those of you who, who didn't pick that up, but uh, he just was singing your praises on it. But as we were talking about it and talking about the show in general, we were talking about the background actors on the show and what an important part they play on this. And just seeing this little girl cheerleading, I was rewatching it last night after talking to Brad, and you see this little girl doing her cheerleading routine, trying to mimic what Lila mm -hmm. and the rest of the girls are doing. And it just is one of those beautiful Friday Night Lights moments. I started to notice, especially when I got to be in the stands for the football games, th that they started to form their own like families and cliques. Mm -hmm. And you could, and I started to see their relationships forming. It ended up, it was very, very cool. Shout out, Brad. That's very sweet. And speaking of Buddy, I died when he started mouthing the play-by-play. -play. He knew the whole thing. It's so Buddy Garrity. And I wonder if that was scripted. When we have David Hudgens on, I want to ask him about that. I was going to say the same thing. Regardless of whether it's scripted or not, it's just a brilliant way of showing who this character is. And then Tim, Tim saying to Lila, I don't hate you. It'd be a lot easier if I did. Ugh, I felt that. I felt that in my life before. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's about to make some changes in who Tim is as a person. I think her calling him out on on being drunk all the time. And, and he's so in love with her that he's going to start trying to make some changes in his life. Spoilers. Okay. And then we meet Lucas, the man-eater Mize, played by Chad Brannon. And I guess we find out Coach used to drive 22 miles a day just to coach him. Like, I think he was... um street before street. Well, coach, I, th I believe that we discussed this earlier, uh, but coach was a quarterback coach. That's how he started out. And coach played quarterback when he was in high school. So that was kind of his forte before he became a head coach. And obviously he was pretty good at it because Lucas, the man-eater Mize, was a uh, pretty ridiculously good high school quarterback. And then he introduces Smash to Grady Hunt, who is, I guess, a scout for all of Texas. I'm thinking... He's probably based on a guy who is named Dave Campbell, who is known as the godfather of Texas high school football evaluation. And he scouts all the players coming out of Texas. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Dave Campbell's like uh, uh, yearly catalog of, of high school athletes was basically the, the go-to. If he called you a four-star or five-star recruit, you were a four-star five-star recruit. And literally everybody in the country was going after you because the main pools for high school football talent come from state of Florida state of California and the state of Texas. And those three states are always vying for the top three best. They're the, well, they're the three largest states in the country as well. So that helps, but, and they don't play as much football in New York as they do in Texas, Florida, and California, but there's just a different level. Look, I'm a Florida guy, so I'm not going to say that Texas football is better than Florida football. Oh, wait, I just heard you say Texas football is better than Florida football. That's weird. Maybe there's like a glitch in your microphone or something. I said I'm not going to say that. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. But there is, I mean, in terms of 
the pageantry that goes along with Texas high school football, it's nothing like, I mean, that's a thousand times bigger than what happens in Florida. I love Smash as soon as he meets him too. He just gives him all his stats. (laughs) He just drops his resume right there. Boom. Here you go. Like an actor meeting a casting director for the first time. (laughs) Okay. Then we're going to go into rehab. So guys, I've, I have seen this episode before. I always, I think I've seen it a couple of times because I remember I giggle every time he says, just because I have stumps, do I not bleed? I think the character's name is Corey, but it's played by Robert Boothby. That guy is so good. He's great. He's great. And it's it's one of the, I wanted to talk about this as well, because it's one of those things that, and I can't say if it was Jeffrey Reiner that cast him or if it was Beth Sepko, our local casting director in Texas. But it's one of the things this show does so well. And I'm going to say this a hundred times over because you're going to see it happen so many different times. But they find all these great actors that aren't necessarily actors. I mean, Corey, to the best of my, or Robert Boothby, who, who plays Corey, wasn't necessarily an actor. It was just a real guy. And why go get some actor who doesn't know, have that experience when you can find the real thing? Same thing with, I believe, Phil, who was the... Uh, the nurse, yeah. Yeah, the nurse. He's a real physical therapist. Our, our doula also, when, when I gave birth, spoilers, was a, not an actress. She was a real doula. She like, walked me through everything. That'll be something as we go along on this show. I'll try to keep doing it and just be like, that person's not an actor. That person's not an actor. I mean, sometimes it was just you're shooting a scene in a shop and Jeffrey Reiner would be like, you work here. And the person's like, yeah. And he's like, why don't we have you behind the counter? And then it was some poor actor that they move aside. But it works, man. Yeah, it just, it legitimizes this town. And that's what I was talking about too when we were talking about the background actors is it just, it adds a level of legitimacy to this place. It's a tactile thing. Dylan becomes something that you can touch and feel and smell. And anyway, maybe not smell. Okay, coach comes in. This hit me in my gut, man. I'm trying to put myself in a position of if that had happened to me and I was street and them asking me to go to a game, especially homecoming game, which is the most important of the year, like the most pageantry of the whole year. Oh God, I'm so conflicted. I can imagine how, how hard that would be to be wheeled out and everybody like cheer and stand for you. And it would just feel like a bunch of sympathy. And I felt so much for him in that moment. Yeah. And it's, it's also, I mean, street's a guy that like, isn't after the pageantry and isn't looking for the pat on the back. He's just a, he's a humble guy. I love that coach asked him, but oof, Jesus. Okay, guys, here it comes. I'm going to the landing strip. Yeah, landing strip. And who should appear but one Stacy Oristano? Hey, it's me. <laughs> Don't love watching myself, but this was kind of fun because I look like a baby. You're great. But also I can, and it's only because it's me, but I can see that I was a little bit nervous. Yeah. And I, it's like, oh God, Stace, God bless your heart. I remember this was a thing throughout the whole series, us like debating and having conversations with NBC about how short my skirts could be, how short my shorts could be. <laughs> and the rules were different inside the club than outside of the club. And it was like a, like we, we would have to like take the measurement, the inches measurements and send them to NBC and then they would okay the cost or whatever. But it was a lot. That actually was my skirt and my belt, which then Friday Night Lights got to keep because I wore it on screen. This is just like a funny little side note, but I remember like anytime you and Tyra were working, like wardrobe would be, would bring you guys bras and you guys were always revealing a little bit of bra strap or a little bit of side bra or something like that. And they would have like 30 different bras on a rack 
Yes. And bring them <laughs> out to you entirely. And it looked colors like in the world. <laughs> yeah, brightest colors in the world, but also like there were 30 different animals slain because it was all kinds of different like leopard print <laughs> and zebra print. And <laughs> it's the God's honest truth. I mean, it looked like they killed a zoo and brought it out to you guys. You know what I mean? Oh, God, like, which, which God bless our dead hearts. animal print would you love to wear today? Obviously, no animals were harmed in the shooting of Friday Night Lights, but these were all like synthetic fabrics. But like, yeah, there, was was a rac- there was a raccoon at our base camp one time, but we'll talk about that later. They, and I'm sure you guys made a bra out of it. The Collect Sisters. <laughs> I figure Tyra and Mindy share clothes too. Like I can't fit in Annie's clothes, but we could share bras. So yeah. it's all it's all good. And then, yeah, there was a big thing about what 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 words we could say and david hudgens i think found out that like i couldn't call you anything more than ass hat if we put those words together it was nbc okay and i'm not gonna go to the grave saying that this is true but i think we were the first show to do that and a ton of shows did it afterwards that you said ass hat or that, that you said ass hat became an acceptable word huh huh don't hold me to it i think that's the truth it was one of the things you had to become Look, the reality is a guy like Billy Riggins and Tim Riggins probably cursed a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, Billy, but it's still NBC. So there are all all kinds of rules. Like you could call somebody an ass, but you couldn't refer to anything being inserted into a private part. So (laughs) so I'd be like, like, Tim, you're an ass. And then the next scene, I'd be like, get your head out of your ass. And like, oh, no, 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 (laughs) no. Meanwhile, I might get flagged for this on our episode here. But about this scene, I, uh, I have been and will forever be confused about how you and Ty- how Billy and Tyra hatched a plan to have this party. Who called who? Where did this come up from? I find the pairing odd yet charming. Don't get it. Here's what I think happened. Billy went to some awesome rager party in Abilene. <laughs> Because he talks about Abilene and he said, and I'm the one who added that city of opportunity line, because if you've ever been to Abilene, it's not the city of opportunity. Not known for raging parties. (laughs) So I don't know. I thought at the time that it was hysterical and that I was brilliant. When I rewatched it, I'm like, "Eh, I don't know that that's that great a line there. Maybe take it down a notch. But anyway, uh, I thought saying city of opportunity was brilliant. But yeah, Billy went to some rager in Abilene. And he's come back and he's, 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 seen, he's seen his future, I think. He's like, we got to do the same thing here. I mean, these people were making money hand over fist. And I think that Why it just Tyra? so happens. I don't think he specifically went to the landing strip to tell Tyra this story. I think he was at the landing strip. And just like mm-hmm. any good, it's like Billy got a great uh, piece of advice on a stock option. He wants to share that with somebody. <laughs> he's got a stock tip. And this was his stock tip. You, of course, are a doubting Thomas, but. Well, I think I just want you to stay away from my sister too. Take it easy. Take I'm it just easy. saying. You did, you did though. You, I remember you did improvise that clear eyes full hearts at the end of the scene because Annie and I giggled. Yeah. Giggled. I, I, so it was going back to what we were talking about at the, at the top of this episode. It's, it's episode seven. This is the first time I've really kind of had any, any like big scenes or anything. So I'm kind of feeling myself out. Like, as you said, you were ner- nervous in this scene, Stacey. I'm like at the point now where I'm like, well, I know other people are improv on this show. Can I improv? Am I allowed to like say something and see what happens? And so I kind of threw those two lines out and no one said anything. And I was like, oh, okay. So I have a little bit of freedom to play here. And once I had that kind of freedom, it, it kind of opened me up as the show went on.
Here's a question for you. Did you think at this point in time when you got the part that you and I were going to have any kind of romantic anything? No, I think you and I may have talked about it because Billy was a little bit older than Mindy, but we've definitely known each other like our whole lives and probably were at school at the same time. And it seems from what was written, it seems to me like we never got along. Like there was some, some, I don't know, just bitterness there. And even though Annie denies it, I know that there was an episode, I swear on my life, where at the end of this episode, Tim was supposed to catch like her kissing me on the cheek as I was getting out of her car, like after the party. And that's what led to that big fight that happens in a later episode. So anyway, I thought that this episode was supposed to kind of be Tim getting jealous of the fact that Tyra and I have kind of started having not necessarily a romantic relationship, but a relationship that could be misconstrued as romantic. I get that. You guys have chemistry. Yeah. I love, I love Annie's laugh so much. It's Uh, just from the gut and so honest. I I love it so much. Okay, moving on. This next scene. There's something about the two of them floating in this rehab pool and the way that Lila is cradling street. It is so intimate and so soft. And he's asking these incredibly loaded questions, but I just, it's so well-written and everything about it is so beautiful. And just like shout out David Hudgens. Well, yeah. And as you said, I mean, the way it's staged too, because they're having this whole conversation and we're getting to see both of the reactions on their face, but they can't see what the other person's saying. So when Lila's being asked these questions, she's having a legitimate kinesthetic response to what's being asked of her and she's not hiding it. And you see her eyes kind of go wide because she knows that he might know, you know? It's so good. There's a lot There's a lot I found in this episode that I found to be really intimate. And they did a lot of the super FNL close-up faces, especially with Lila and Street, but uh, with everybody. And I think this is a very Patrick Norris thing who directed this episode. He would come back and end up doing six with us. I feel like the luckiest girl in the world that he was my first director. He's so warm and he's so welcoming and he's so helpful. And I think that intimacy part between David Hudgens and Patrick Norris became part of FNL later. I just think some of the stuff that was shot in this episode was so beautiful. Patrick Norris is just so laid back too, man. He's just, he, he's kind of like an old hippie. Not old, but like there was a line, I think I got, and I've always, like over time, I've just made it worse than what it was. But I got done with a scene and I said, and he goes, all right, man, moving on, moving on. And I go, did we get that? And he goes, yeah, man, it's like walking a dinosaur, man. And I was like, what does that even mean? And I don't know what it means. And I don't know that he actually said that, but that's kind of like the line that I've attributed to him. It's like, yeah, man, it's like walking a dinosaur, man. We got it, man. It's cool, man. (laughs) You're like, okay, yeah, totally. (laughs) And I'm like, I have no clue what that means, but sweet, moving on. But dude, he was one of my favorite directors on this show to work with. Just the nicest guy on the planet. Uh, So chill. But talking of intimacy, (laughs) can we talk about when Lucas Mize comes out to the field and he throws that bomb to smash and Grady Hunt goes, nice hands. And Mac McGill goes, soft as a Tijuana hooker. (laughs) Oh, God. It's one of my favorite lines from the show. And it's such a Texas line. You know, it's such Texas line, and he does it so well as like a uh, throwaway. I, Mac McGill is one of my favorite characters on the show. 
I don't know if that line was scripted. I, once again, once we have David Hudgens on the show, I'd love to ask him. Okay, so we find out Lucas doesn't actually have this insurance agency in Dallas, and he asks Coach for a job. Coach then goes to tell Tammy, and I got to tell you, man, Tammy, again, coming in with the wisdom. I have yet, it's episode seven. I have yet to see Tammy be wrong when she says anything. And she says this town turns teens into idols. And it's true when you're that when you're placed on a pedestal of that high at that age, it seems to me you have yeah. nowhere to go but down. Yeah. And that's a lot of what the book Friday Night Lights talks about. And I think a lot of what this show touches on over time is that these kids peak in high school. And it shouldn't be that way. As much as I love high school football, like, come on, this isn't the end of your life. This is the start of your life. A uh, question. Yes. 9-11 and your, and your golf career. Okay, so I'll explain it to you and some of the audience. What happened is Billy was a golfer. There is a thing called the Hooters Tour. And to make the Hooters Tour is a big deal because it means you're really close to qualifying and getting your, your PGA card. So Billy was en route to that actually happening. He was actually a good golfer and potentially could have gotten his PGA Tour card. But at, the, at that point in time, right as things were happening, 9-11 happened. And it shut down the Texas Swing that year, which is a, a tournament. And so because the Texas Swing was shut down, Billy kind of had to wait it out. And then that later that year, December of 2001, his parents or his dad took off, bolted. And now Tim was left behind and Billy it became Billy's responsibility. This scene to me was everything. I needed this to, it, it gave me my reason why Billy was the way he was. You got to think about it this way, because I've heard a lot of people be like, Billy's an ass or Billy's a jerk or I hate Billy. That's fine. I get it. But take into consideration that Billy was probably 20 years old when his parents took off. Tim was 11 or 12. So that means Billy had to take care of this kid. He had no job, no income, no education. And now he's having to take care of an 11 or 12-year-old kid. Billy raised this kid. And Billy had to give up everything in his life, his golf career, everything that he wanted and desired so that Tim could have a life. That says a lot about who Billy is as a person. We don't really ever touch on that ever again. But knowing that gave me everything I needed going forward. It was like, okay, I can be a jerk. And this is why I'm a jerk. I like that Tyra says that she learned more about the Riggins family in five minutes with you than she ever did from Tim. Yeah. And frankly, we learned more about the Riggins family in that one little scene than we probably do about the Riggins family pre the start of this show for the whole rest of the series. Um, okay. Grady Hunt coming into Smash's house. Oh, yeah, this scene. The minute he comes in there, you know, up until this point, all we've seen from, from Smash is this kind of like egotistical, bombastic character. And for the first time, we realize why this is happening. And it's because Smash has put all this weight on his own shoulders that he's got to be the one to carry his family out of poverty. And it goes back to what we, we've talked about already on this show, is that every one of these characters is three-dimensional. Smash is this guy who's not just an egomaniac. He's carrying this monster of burden on his back of trying to take care of his family and, and give them a better life. It's a lot. It's a lot. And even Mama Smash is like, that's not on you, but he's going to carry that with him no matter what. Okay. <sighs> so many questions. You, you and Ty are going to pick up the kegs. I think you thought there were like 16, but she says there's 22. Here's, here's my question. Get like a bunch of lemons and limes. And I don't think high schoolers are going to be picky enough that in their like tequila soda or whatever, they're going to need a lime wedge. But you made it fancy. It's not just going to be beers. 
They're probably making sangria for the ladies as well. What? We always had we always had trash can punch or sangria for the okay. for the girls at every one of the parties that we threw when I was in college. Yeah, we call it Kool-Aid punch. Yeah. So Billy's Tyra's probably saying go get some lemons and limes because they're gonna be making some sangria. Uh, okay, I'll give you that one. But you wouldn't know this because you were off, you know, getting hoity-toity in London. I was I was, or just being a theater geek in high school. Interesting little side note about this. As we were shooting that scene where we're picking up the kegs. We were like in a mad rush because the sun was about to set and the show was about to air that night for the first time. There was a big, huge party planned and Annie and I were the last two like characters basically stuck shooting this scene and we'd been outside all day long sweating. And so we wanted to get home, shower real quick and be able to run down and, and go catch the premiere with the rest of the cast and crew. Every time I see that scene, that's what I remember. is like, hurry, hurry, hurry. We got to get this shot. We got to get this shot. You guys made it. So that's all that matters. We did. We did. But by the skin of our teeth. We go to the game, which quite honestly, like it is important, but feels like the least important part of this episode, which I kind of love. Oh, gosh. When they, when Street has to like tear the sign a little bit to get out to go through it and they call him honorary captain. Oh, God. And once again, there's that complete and total utter silence from the from the stadium. And it's just. It, it's gut-wrenching. All of those feels question. Why was Buddy on the sidelines? Why wouldn't he be? He's Buddy Garrity, and he can go wherever he wants. Okay, the game is going terribly. Smash is just not doing it, and that was the meanest coach I have ever seen halftime in the locker room. Which was pretty PO'd. But yeah, I mean, Smash is literally and figuratively dropping the ball here. See what I did there? <laughs> I see what you did yeah, there. Pretty smart guy. But listen, all of that makes for all of this room for Tim Riggins to come in there, be the hero of the game. It also shows what Tim is capable of if he just gets his act together a little bit. But he hasn't exactly had the opportunities or the upbringing or, or the parenting that's necessary to, to know what to do with his life. I mean, his best influence is Billy, and that's not very good. Well, nobody wants that. They're, they cut to um, just a little, a little flash of Mama Smash in the stands, and she's wearing a mum. Those of you not from Texas, I will Cliff's notes it, but mums are the most important part of homecoming. It's like they're giant flowers that are glued onto cardboard and ribbons and ribbons and ribbons and bells and toys hanging off of them. And you get to wear them to school that day. It's the loudest day of school. Nobody gets anything done. And like the bigger, the better. They can go over your shoulder and over your whole dress. It's absolutely ridiculous. And they're very expensive. Yeah, see, and that's like... That's what I was talking about earlier when I said, look, high school football in Florida is on par with Texas, but that's the difference. We don't have mums. We don't have 50,000 people going to high school football games. I mean, like even top-notch state championship winning football programs in Florida may only have like 5,000 people at a game. That's shocking to me. And the thing is you get asked to homecoming, like to the game and then to the dance and the guy will give a girl, the mom, and they get the maid or their mom makes them. And the girl will give a guy a garter. So it's a band that he wears on his arm. And it usually matches the mom that the girl wears. And you keep these. I still have my mums in my storage in Texas. Like I will never get rid of them. Very meaningful. So it is actually really sweet that Smash gave his mom a mum. It's very, very sweet. Well, and Saracen, if I remember correctly, gives his grandma a mum. I believe that we see that in later episodes now that you brought that up because I, hey, I'm learning about mums too. I kind of knew what they were, but it's not a, we don't do that. I don't think anywhere else in the country. Again, because I was such a theater nerd, we, my theater teacher, Mr. Cure started a club and it was called Damn. 
and it was drama students against mum noise. And we went around with scissors and we cut off everybody's bells. And then you would tie them onto a hanger and whoever had the most bells at the end of the day won. They were so loud and obnoxious. That is the most emo story I've ever heard in my whole entire life. So we were a bunch of theater kids. Of course we were. <laughs> Love okay, it. here we go <laughs> to the party. God, this party's so illegal. I don't know why when we were shooting it, I guess I was young enough that it didn't bother me as much as it does now. But at 45, I go, what the hell is Billy thinking? Okay. This is one of my favorite, most iconic moments of Friday Night Lights, and it happened so early. You waking up on the windshield. You know what's funny is your dad said the same thing. Your dad, I, I remember your dad like calling me specifically and being like, that drool, the drool with your face sticking to the windshield is brilliant. I was like, thank you. Was that in the script or did Patrick be like, just wake up there? Uh, Billy being passed out was in the script, but specifically the drool was my little contribution to it. That was uh, that was one of my. I played Hamlet in college. And oh God! There it then, is! There it is! There it is! Only took seven episodes. Ah, you guys, Steve, our producer and I are doing a dance right now. They're dancing. <laughs> they they. I think there was uh, a cash bet going. The bet was when Derek would say that he played Hamlet in college. Sorry, right, you bastards. But I, that was uh, besides playing Hamlet, maybe the greatest acting experience of my life was. Uh, drooling on the side of that that windshield. I will also put up there the playing card being stuck to a butt cheek, but that's much later. <laughs> okay, and then you and then you walk you walk off and we get a full body shot of you and though Derek, are those the boots? Yeah, uh those are the those are the boots. When I auditioned for this part, Peter Berg said, I like those boots. If you get this job, bring those boots. And so I brought the damn boots when I got the job. Do you still have them? Yeah, I do. And they are in bad, bad shape. God. Funny story about those boots is one time I, I actually took them home because they're my boots at the end of a season. And I got an ugly message from wardrobe. And they're like, hey, did you steal your boots? And I'm like, those are my boots. Oh, God, the boots. And it was just like a shot of the boots. Made me so happy. Okay, and then we're here. The, the end of the episode, we see Smash. He hands over the cash. He gets a vial of what I'm assuming are steroids without ever like actually saying it. And all I'm saying is, don't do it. Oh, God, don't do it, Smash. Don't do it. Don't do it. And we get one of those like perfect FNL moments where he just looks up and we catch his eyes and there's a million stories being told on his face. And then credits. Yeah, and this is going to bring up a whole new storyline with Smash. And we know now... That because of this episode, all this pressure that he has to succeed. And it's, uh, yeah, it's going to lead to some, some bad decisions. Well, it's already led to a bad decision, and it's only unfortunately going to lead to worse. Oof. Episode seven, I'm a fan. Aside from my stuff, I'm a big fan of this episode. It's really hard for me to watch this episode because I'm still very green as an actor. There's one moment where I actually make eye contact with the camera, and I see it every time. Oh, you spiked the lens! Yeah, it's Oh, it's not good. But I mean, there's a lot of things. It's, I have to give myself a little leeway here because I'm learning at this point. But it's it's really hard to watch it as an older actor now and go, oh, what were you doing? I'm just so oh boy, big. were we skinny and young. <laughs> okay, guys, that is it for episode seven. Yeah, so join us next time for episode eight when we see lots of the Riggins brothers. And the stories get deeper for the rest of our characters. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't, can't lose. lose. 
Your Eyes Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.